0: Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond.
1: again, everyone, and welcome back to Reformed Podmatics. This is Pastor Mark. And Pastor Zach. And we thank you so much for tuning in and spending some of your time, your precious time listening to this podcast. Um, Thanks also to the many people who have listened to our previous episode on Black Lives Matter and given us some feedback, some of it Hmm. positive and some of it some good constructive criticism. And we certainly want this to be a, um, not just a unidirectional effort <laughs> that we're putting forth and just thus saith the Lord. And this is, these are the right <laughs> things to think about any topic, but it is great when we can get feedback from people at Almond Valley and people in our social circles or social media feeds. And so yeah, thank definitely. you so much for listening and for contributing to that conversation. Today's conversation is going to be very different than the previous one that we've had. That was more political and, um, I would say, very sensitive. And Mm -hmm. today's conversation probably isn't going to touch on such a sensitive topic, but is extremely important as we seek to gain knowledge of the living God. And so we're talking today about the topic of mystery. And we're thinking about here uh, why it matters that we would have a doctrine of mystery, and um, just as Pastor Zach and I were getting ready for this podcast, we were realizing that we're going to get pretty firmly back into the Reformed camp through this talk. Yeah, um, the one of the great things that the Reformed church can offer to the broader uh, church throughout the world, that is evangelicalism and uh, our brothers and sisters throughout the world and other denominations as well, is that uh, both Zach and I believe that we have a very solid,
0: biblical, helpful understanding of mystery. Hmm. Yeah, so the question would be then, does Reformed tradition have a place for mystery? Hmm. The answer is yes. Often, it's thought that Calvinism gives an answer for everything that could possibly be asked, yeah. and it becomes a very tight uh, and constraining system of thought in which a prepackaged answer can be found, uh, maybe with a few clicks of the mouse. Hmm. Uh, you can... Go on to Bible Gateway and find your biblical answer for something, and therefore there's no there's no room for mystery, and and I've seen this a lot, especially in young people that I work with, feeling like uh, there there is no place for for mystery, and and they're wondering, uh, are there just answers for everything, or or uh, is 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 God actually mysterious? Hmm. Uh, and so we want to get to this question is does the Reform system have a place for, for mystery? Mm-hmm. Um, and if so, what is it? And how do we explain that?
1: Yeah, it can be a tricky conversation because what attracts a lot of people to the Reformed faith is are the good answers that we have for a lot of big questions that they're wondering about? And it is yeah. true that in the Reformed stream of Christianity, we place a very high value on intellectual rigor, on um, exploration, on exegesis, on even things like philosophy and systematic Hmm. theology. And so each of these are values in our Reformed world, and yet too often, just as you've said, that can translate into the belief that if we've got a lot of good answers about big things, then we must have hmm. the exact answer for everything. And so we're, we want to counteract that a little bit in this conversation, um, while not not going too far off and just encouraging people to fall into shapeless mysticism. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, we could start with getting some definitions. In this conversation, definitions will be oh, really yeah. important, Um again, in preparation, we're like, well, what do we mean by knowledge? What do we mean by mystery? Um, what do we mean by revelation at hmm. times? And so um, what what do we mean by, by knowledge and mystery? Maybe those are two words that we need to define a
0: little bit. Well, if I were to take a stab at them, <laughs> I would say knowledge deals with knowing. <laughs> sure. And knowing... Uh, as creatures is always imperfect, but it is possible. Um, and so, knowledge requires the mind, and uh, it requires uh, coming into contact with something, observing something, uh, learning about uh, about something, uh, and always reorienting to to the truth mm-hmm. um, and coming around to understanding reality as it's presented to us as it truly is. Um, and again, as creatures, our, our uh, collecting of knowledge or growing in knowledge is a process. Uh, we can never have infinite, uh, more absolute mm-hmm. knowledge, uh, but we can indeed have knowledge. Uh, mystery, if we want to broach that question, mm-hmm. what is mystery? Well, mystery is that which is unknown, um, but for Christians, mystery is, there are things that are revealed to us, uh, and so we see this throughout the biblical text, the the place of mystery. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ephesians 3, um, actually as I spoke about um, in weeks past, a few episodes ago, um, there's there's mystery that is revealed, and it's now made known, Mm -hmm. um, which is that gentiles were to be welcomed in that's the particular mystery there sure, sure. Uh, but mystery is that which is unknown but not necessarily unknowable yeah yeah and
1: um i like that definition you gave about knowledge because knowledge assumes that there is some truth that is accessible and so obviously a christian needs to be seeking the truth Um, There are many scriptures, of course, that call us to worship God with our mind, our whole mind, and um, that would include seeking truth about God who is knowable, who has revealed who He is, both through nature and general revelation, but more particularly and in a saving way through His Word. Hmm. So um, we can know God, yeah. Um, and, and <laughs> we have to and um but when we say knowledge we don't mean comprehensive knowledge right. i think that as i was doing some reading preparing for this podcast louis burkoff um or or uh, not, um herman bavink he goes into goes to great lengths to talk about how god cannot be comprehensively known in this life hmm. and he he even says that even the angels themselves don't know Everything about God. Yeah. How can they? And um, and so, if they don't, and uh, certainly we can't, they have an experience of God that we can't even comprehend at this point. And so, while knowledge should be sought, it should be done so humbly um, that we are aware that we cannot comprehend it. I really love a quote from Bavink from volume one of his. Reformed Dogmatics, where he says often comprehension ceases to the degree a person digs deeper into a subject. So <laughs> um, the person who is just getting introduced into Christianity, yes, we should emphasize the things that they can know. They can know that yeah. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, is uh, died on the cross, lived a perfect life, rose from the dead. Those are the things we require, uh, God requires that we know um but the more they learn about this faith the more they learn about the living god they're going to discover not everything is um c- can be exhaustively deduced right and, and so that's kind of where this mystery comes in
0: it's sort of like the quote that you'll often hear people say the more i learned the mm-hmm. more i learned that i didn't know anything or the yeah. more i come to know the more i realize i don't know
1: right and so mystery the the existence of it doesn't negate knowledge or truth, um, but it does mean that there are still things in the dark, like the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, even as I am fully known. So hmm. God knows us fully. He has complete comprehension yeah. of us. But now we know in part. Yeah. And so um, before we really get into a uh, maybe a biblical... Defense of this doctrine of mystery and how it's important and even good for us to embrace. Uh, let's talk about some sinful approaches to mystery. I think that this can often go wrong yeah. in a number of directions. And uh, what would be one sinful approach to uh, thinking, to how we think about God? Yeah, as
0: we've sort of been getting at throughout this whole podcast so far, there are often divergent. Pits on both yep. sides of the road. There's Double ditches ditch. <laughs> on both sides, and so one of these uh, ditches would be trying to completely get rid of or prescribe, proscribe mystery from from your system of thought, or to dispense with it mm-hmm. uh, as if there's no place for mystery. So yeah, maybe some people would be upset that we're talking about this. Actually,
1: yeah, that we would say that there is some mystery.
0: Yeah, because well, well let's think about the human heart. The human heart. Longs to know everything uh, we long to know questions that that are that that attack us that that keep us up at night questions that you know just continue to go on in our minds and so we want to know there's this hunger for us to know this is why Gnosticism was such a very pre- mm. such a prevalent uh, sort of philosophical a religious, quasi-religion, I guess, back in the ancient period, because people wanted to have secret knowledge that other people didn't have. There's this mm-hmm. desire for the human heart to know things, and so that means to eradicate mystery. There ought to be no place for mystery, and we see this a lot today with, with fundamentalism, as we could call it, yeah. and its desire to To do away with mystery to make everything perfectly black and white uh, as if to do otherwise would be to you know open up the world to complete chaos uh, because nothing can be can be known and so there's sort of this desperate attempt to to have answers for every little thing yeah and um you see
1: this a lot with peripheral theological issues that are turned into the absolute hill that everyone has to die on all the time. And, yeah. uh, and I would say, well, some people might hear us refer this to a sinful approach to mystery, and they would think that that's too strong of terminology, hmm. but I would say the sin is an idolatry of knowledge. Yeah, And so if we idolize knowledge, we think then our knowledge... And how exhaustive it is is what will save us. Yeah, And um, if we can figure out the system perfectly and if we have the puzzle completed and every piece looks like it's just in place, then we'll be okay. But of course, the issue with fundamentalism um, in its worst iterations is that once one piece is removed, then the puzzle is incomplete and the idolatry of that that knowledge falls apart so quickly. Um, A couple examples of that, you would see um, eschatology. So the belief in the rapture, the belief in uh, this very specific premillennial dispensationalism is perceived by many people to be an absolutely essential understanding of God's Word, even though Mm -hmm. it is it is very mysterious. And Jesus says when he teaches about his second coming that it's going to be mysterious in many ways. Yeah. Um, that's actually part of what he's getting at when he's saying um, one person will uh, will be taken and the other left. And um, I, I think part of the emphasis there is that it will be strange mm-hmm. in some way to us. Of course, we should seek knowledge about it. And um, Pastor Zach and I have our views on what will happen at the last day, but we wouldn't go so far as to say that those views, even though we hold to them, are required for salvation because it's just so settled in the mm. Word of God.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's the first, I think, uh, problem or yeah. sinful approach to, to mystery. The second would be the opposite error of basically saying that everything is mystery and that there's not really any way for humans to know. And so this is the maybe the problem of post-modernity uh, in, in many ways, and relativism, um, nothing can be known. And we see this in theology, people often hold to this view because of, of some sin issue, usually is being at the root of it, yeah. um, not wanting to take the clear word of God at face value and wanting to to rub off the the hard edges and the sharp edges in certain ways Mm. so that their interpretation of Scripture will allow them to live in a way that they want. So the the idol here is not knowledge and having absolute knowledge, which a creature cannot have. The idol would be self Mm. um, and the flesh and wanting to justify... any sort of behavioral or lifestyle choices that they may seek to to make.
1: Yeah, what a contrast there. If you think of how the idols are different from the first one, the idol is truth that is this kind of outside of me and it's a knowledge that I've got and that is, um, sets me sort of up against other people pridefully. Hmm. And then this is the opposite. This is that the only thing that kind of really exists is within me and it's my gut reaction, it's my instinct, and so um, the idolatry of self will then cause people to reject many things that God's Word says very clearly. And uh, the obvious huh. example of this in today's culture is this issue of homosexuality, where the the term mystery is often applied to how we should respond to um the calls for churches, including our churches in our own denomination, to change our theology of sexuality, hmm. particularly our our permission for same sex attracted people to be married, and the the tool that is often used in that conversation for the progressive, so to speak, progressive uh, people. Is mystery, that hmm. that this isn't as clear as you're making it sound. And um, whereas, I, I really like what the New Testament theologian Don Carson says, where he says, um, our job as ministers, and our job really as all Christians, is to take the text and understand it plainly in its own terms. Yeah. And I think that when you do that, you see very quickly, it is very clear in God's Word that marriage cannot be between two men and two women. Um, and so um, that's where mystery is used as really a license to sin or uh, to avoid teachings that people don't like all that much in God's Word. Maybe a third sinful approach to mystery is a little bit related to that second type, and this is the approach where people will just turn their brain off, No, almost knowingly will say, yeah. I can't understand, I can't comprehend fully. Um, maybe they'd even have some Bible verses for support, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, and they would say, Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to God, and so I just am not going to be able to understand this kind of stuff. Amen, brother. And and so um, they will sinfully not worship God with their whole mind. Yeah. And um, the approach is probably a little bit less common in our theological context than it is hmm. in maybe some others. I think of the charismatic context hmm. and, at times, the Catholic context as well, where hmm. where people will say, um, these matters of theology are for the, the holy man yeah. or the prophet to understand, and I'm just going to trust them and believe kind of what they're telling me without desiring to move from spiritual milk to spiritual solid food
0: yeah it's it's the outsourcing of of knowledge yeah Um, i don't need to know it because somebody over there knows it and you know as as mark quoted right now deuteronomy 29 the secret things belong to the lord i'm good with those things being kept secret but the problem is and this leads us to where we need to i think move in this discussion is what the rest of that verse says, it uh-huh. offers us how yeah. to balance our ourselves as we as we walk as humans as creatures with limitations and, if, and if, like we are finite creatures, we yeah. we cannot know everything. So this verse then says, after saying the secret things belong to the Lord our God, that the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of the law. And so yeah. here we have that perfect balance. Struck, I think, of things that are secret to us need to remain secret. Things that are revealed to us need to be known by us because they belong to us and to our children forever. And so, a quote that I always think about this back when I became reformed uh, back in I don't know two thousand ten or so. <laughs> I one of the first books I picked up because I had heard so much about it was. John Calvin's Institutes, of course. What else? And so, of course, I skipped the first two books and went right to book three of the four books that exist in the Institutes of the Christian Religion, chapter 21, and began to read on predestination and election. And then in section three of that chapter, I found this quote, which really made me stop and think, and he says this, "...let us, I say, permit the Christian man to open his mind and ears to every utterance of God directed to him, provided it be with such restraint that when the Lord closes his holy lips, he also shall at once close the way to inquiry." And so the idea that Calvin's getting at is that where God speaks, we need to listen, We need to open our mind and ears he says to every utterance of god directed to him and this is going to be difficult this is going to be hard and it's going to get us into tricky situations but we need to do it because god speaks and we are called therefore to listen and to uh, seek to uh, conform ourselves to the word of god but to do so with such restraint he says that when the lord closes his holy lips he shall at once close the way to inquiry. The person who's listening shall stop asking hmm. questions beyond what God has revealed."
1: Yeah, that gets us right into Job. And um, so if we want to make a bit of a shift here towards some of the scriptural support for yeah, definitely. a doctrine of mystery, um, of course there is that Deuteronomy 29 29, which I would guess John Calvin had in mind when he was writing that awesome mm-hmm. quote, Um, and beyond that, we have lots of places in the scriptures that recognize that God's ways are above our ways, his thoughts above our thoughts, his um, plan beyond comprehension, Um, and one of those places, of course, is Job 11. Really, all throughout the book of Job, um, Job is wrestling with what can be known, particularly about God's will for Job's life, and in Job 11, Hmm. Um, the Lord says to Job, can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths of the grave. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. And one of the reasons I like that quote is that humanity, we can't even understand the earth and the sea and the heavens and um Some basic things of biology, hmm. um certainly thousands of years ago <laughs> job job's culture couldn't have understand uh, understood those things either, but um we still cannot fully comprehend all of the things of the world and and yet yeah. god uh, god's knowledge is beyond even our world it's beyond things that we have ever even thought about to think about and so. Um, I, I like that quote quote where jo- God is essentially throughout Job putting Job in his place, yeah. and um, that does make a lot of people uncomfortable. Many people who who reject this embrace of mystery towards more of a fundamentalism probably don't like the Book of Job very much hmm. because it seems like God isn't always giving Job the. Clear-cut answer for this yeah, question. Exactly.
0: There's lots and lots of mystery that keeps coming back into the story. Yeah. Job is unable to attain to the heights of God's knowledge, and it it leaves humans who have this idol of knowing everything at a loss because it very clearly says there are things you will simply never know, yeah. and we don't we don't get to see God's side of things. And that's, that's one of the grand themes of God's providence on display throughout the book of Job, yeah. is that it's too high for us. And the fundamentalist would probably read Job for
1: the first time expecting the answer to come at the end of the story, and in some ways it might seem like it does because Job's home and wealth and health are restored, um, but even before that happens, they... We don't, still don't really get the answer that you would expect God to, to give as a, as a neatly wrapped package for Job, yeah. because Job is still struggling in uh, chapters uh, 38 and 39, and he's wondering what God is doing, and then in chapter 40, things turn, and God answers, and he basically says, who are you? Who are you? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth and when I have done all these amazing uh, works in the universe? And that's kind of God's answer, and by grace, mm-hmm. he restores Job, but I, I've once heard a, a good sermon on it where God essentially says to Job, shut up,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and it's like, that's not always what we want to hear, but <laughs> at times, just to trust God um, and um, stop questioning and trust him. Of course, we need we're not that isn't licensed to turn your brain off, but at times it will be um it will bring us peace, actually, to recognize that God has a great plan, that he is far beyond our thoughts, and that we can trust him.
0: Yeah, it's at once maybe the hardest thing mm-hmm. to grasp about it, but it's also the comforting thing yeah. to grasp. Yeah. And and Job's reaction is not not excitement because he's got his answers, Right, he, it's one of humility. He's been put in his place. And so this is what we should be trying to strive for, is, yeah. is being, our being humbled and yeah. knowing our place. And yeah. so Paul gets at this really in the great doxology of Romans 11, where you'll, you may be familiar with these words. He says, "'Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God,' How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? And so then he says, and from him and to him and through him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we see that God God's ways are unable to be searched out. They're unable for us to know all the details of, and to understand fully. And so we have to just announce and fall into the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge that he has.
1: Yeah, many Reformed theologians, I know R.C. Sproul would say this, um, come back to this theme of your God is too small. Your God, the problem with the Church is is not so much a practical problem as much as a theological problem of
0: Hmm.
1: not being aware of God. Another pastor who comes to this theme often is Paul Tripp, and Hmm. he warns pastors in particular, do not lose your awe of God. Um, Do not domesticate God so that He is completely knowable. Um, Do not think Mm -hmm. of God almost as like a buddy or a person. We are talking about God, Mm -hmm. and I think any good Reformed theologian keeps this in mind. Um, Tim Keller, in a really good talk, once said, we need a view of God that humbles us, and that is true. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that exalts us over other people, um, but that humbles us because God is so immense, so great, so awesome. Um, Often when I hear even atheists or agnostics criticizing God, they approach it um, thinking that they could know more about God than anybody else. And Christians can make that mistake, of course, too. Hmm. But they talk about God as if he's like a person, a person that they know and that they don't like. Hmm. But my reaction, Bill Maher often will talk about God in this way, um, that I'm always like, we are talking about God God mm-hmm. made the universe and made things we could never comprehend. And not uh, and President he, Trump. Yeah, and he's talking about <laughs> so, him like but, a person that he doesn't like. And and so I think mystery will will probably help us in our apologetics, actually, um, to say, here, here are these things we know about God, and they are so awesome and life-giving, and uh, to have this knowledge is to have salvation. Um, but at the same time, we've got to to hold especially any extra biblical knowledge very loosely. Hmm. So um, maybe that leads into the next point that we want to make where God's mystery has been revealed in Christ. And so um, another reason why the New Covenant is greater than the Old Covenant is that many of the mysteries of the Old Covenant are revealed. And, of course, we have language about this in Ephesians
0: and Colossians. Yeah, so I'll read Ephesians 3, 4 through 6. I've already mentioned it briefly, but it's good to actually look at it in full, where it says this. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus.
1: Yeah, and then Paul echoes that in Colossians, where he says his purpose is that they, um, the, the Colossians, would be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so... Um, This is the same Paul who wrote the Roman doxology, where Hmm. he recognized God's uh, greatness and how his glory is beyond our complete comprehension, but he is saying that you can know God, you can know Christ. He had said earlier in Colossians that Jesus is, or sorry, and this is Hebrews where uh, Jesus is referred to as the perfect image of the invisible God, and Hmm. that's a reference to revelation, and what we can know about God is perfectly revealed in Christ.
0: Yeah, that's Colossians 1 15 as well. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's the very same type of text. Hebrews 1 and Colossians 1 are uh, really echo one another. And so, um, what a gift that we have as Christians living in the New Testament that we have certainly the written word of God, um, but even more that we have Jesus Christ showing us the nature of God. The heart of God, the will of God, and revealing
0: yeah. God's plan for salvation. Yeah, one of the issues that I have with people who, who want to move everything into the realm of mystery is that they often will almost say, God is unknowable. Mm-hmm. Um, and very clearly, these passages teach us that God can be known. He has revealed Himself to us uh, through His Word, And so one one quick verse that very clearly gets at the heart of this is John 17, 3, the High Priestly Prayer, where Christ says, "'And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, Mm. and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent.'" So knowing God, in fact, is not only possible, but it's essential for eternal life, both here and in uh, the life beyond the grave that we, we look forward to as believers. And so it's absolutely essential that we know God. We can't uh, move everything into the realm of the unknown. And so this is a, a long mm. tradition of thought in the history of the Church, whether or not theology can be done uh, mm. By making positive statements about God, or only by making negative statements, saying what He's not, because He's so incomprehensible, the argument goes that we can't actually say what God is like. We can only say what He what He is not. Isn't like. this more of the Eastern? And so this is this is found a lot in Eastern Orthodox theology, in what it's called apophatic theology, which which is negative theology, saying that. We can only say what God isn't. We can't quite say what he is because he's so mysterious. We have to uh, say that he's not this, but beyond that we don't know. And the Western tradition, I think, has, has gone to the other side and said, cataphatic theology, we can make positive statements about mm-hmm. God. Um, and so there's some, there's some good things we can learn on, on both sides mm-hmm. here as we've been trying to get at. There is a place for mystery, of course, but there's also uh, Scripture. God God reveals Himself. That is the intent of Scripture, for God to reveal Himself knowably to creatures, to accommodate their creaturely knowledge so that there may be union and communion between Mm -hmm. God Mm -hmm. and His people.
1: Yeah, and if I might take my theologian hat off for a second and put on my pastor hat a little bit more, and think about how this works out, uh, the reason that we're talking about these things is so that God's flock might have peace. And Hmm. you can't have peace if you're told there's some knowledge you don't have that you could have that will solve all this. Hmm. And so that's the idolatry of knowledge. Um, Whereas we reject that as pastors because we would say... And I I do say to people when I'm sitting in the hospital with them or when they're on their deathbed, you know everything you need to know for salvation. Mm -hmm. You know it. You know everything you need to know. Um, And on the other side of that, uh, I would say we do want to give somebody some structure (laughs) so that they might put their hope in knowledge. Um, One of my very favorite quotes of John Calvin is that faith is not... Based, built on ignorance, but on knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, again, see your Bill Maher or atheists who would say, <laughs> faith is blind. Mm-hmm. That's their definition of faith. Yeah. Faith is filling in the gaps where we don't have answers right now. That's pretty much what Richard Dawkins perceives faith mm-hmm. to be, and he's a prominent atheist. He would say, faith is just for people who aren't smart and for people who don't want answers, and instead of looking for the answers... They look for, or they just hold on to blind faith. No, John Calvin says faith is built on knowledge. It's Mm -hmm. built on the word of God, uh, the actions of God, of what he has done. And so, again, to that person who is suffering, um, we can have some knowledge of what God has done in his word for maybe people who are suffering in the exact same kind of way. Like, I I imagine. um, somebody who has been betrayed by a family member, or somebody very close to them. There are examples of what to do in that scenario because of Joseph in the, in the Old Testament hmm. or um, David being uh, sought after you know, his, his own son um, wanting to cause a civil war and take over his throne. And so we can see David... Responding, we can see Joseph responding, Mm -hmm. and we can. That's not necessarily going to solve all of our knowledge problems of why this is happening, but it will give us not the knowledge that we need to respond also in a way that will bring God glory. And so, Mm -hmm. thinking of this from the pastoral perspective and not just the theological will hopefully help people see we need a good theology of mystery because on your deathbed, you're going to have to say and recognize, I have the knowledge I need. Mm. Granted, I don't know everything about why this is happening to me, but
0: God has given me what I need, and that's enough for me today. Yeah, that's why I think Bob says very succinctly, mystery is the lifeblood of dogmatics. Yeah. Uh, And there's there's mysteries that are revealed for us to know, and those are the things we must cling to and put our hope and and trust in. In those moments, specifically, when we are preparing for death, And we are preparing to to exit this life. A huge mystery in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to transition this now to maybe uh, a controversial quote that I want us (laughs) to look at um, from a one Richard Rohr, um, who is a uh, Roman Catholic uh, Jesuit Jesuit priest, I I believe. Yeah. and I've listened to lectures of Roar. I've read some of his stuff, never read a whole book, so I'll, I'll put that out on the table. But in an interview that he did with NPR talking about mystery, uh, he has this to say, and I, I want us to sort of dissect it a little bit and, and see what we think is good about it and what is perhaps wrong about it as well. So he says this, people who have really met the Holy, capital H, Holy, are always humble. It's the people who don't know who usually pretend that they do. People who've had any genuine spiritual experience always know that they don't know. They are utterly humbled before mystery. They are in awe before the abyss of it all, in wonder at eternity and depth, and a love, capital L, love, which is incomprehensible to the mind. It is a litmus test for authentic God experience and... and is, quite sadly, absent from much of our religious conversation today. My belief and comfort is in the depths of capital M mystery, which should be the very task of religion. So what are some Hmm. good things we see in this where we we would would agree with what he's saying? Yeah, it is
1: true that the post-Enlightenment scientific thirst for knowledge that is exhaustive has impacted how many modern Christians understand the Christian faith, thinking that they have all the answers and that they, they know it all. Hmm. Um, and so Rohr is re- reacting against um, lowercase f fundamentalism. Yeah. And that is, it is a decent thing to react to. Um, um, I have a friend who was in, into Richard Rohr and encouraging me to read him, and it was while I was preaching through the book of Exodus And so I watched quite a few Richard Rohr talks, and Hmm. it actually, he actually did help me in some way that I think of a text like Exodus 19, where before God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses, they have this totally sensory overload, amazing experience of God on on Mount Sinai. Hmm. There's thunder and lightning and um, it even says they dined with God on the mountain. Yeah. Actually, the elders are called up. and um, Yeah, and, can you imagine that? And, yeah, and so <laughs> they, just like things are blowing up, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and and so this approach of Richard Rohr actually helped me a little bit to a, to look at that text with less of an eye towards, we got to explain this, hmm. and a little bit more of an eye towards God is so awesome, and glorious, and incomprehensible, and what a cool thing that he would reveal himself through his law in that case, or his presence in the case of Mount Sinai, or even in Christ. And so I appreciated that little correction that I need, because I personally do struggle from the desire for exhaustive knowledge, um, and at times need to be corrected. Um, Like he says, we need to be humbled before... God, yeah, who is um, knowable, but who is not comprehensively knowable.
0: Yeah, I, I want to give a hearty amen to what he says about humility. That's what we were talking yeah. earlier about with yeah. Job, and God putting him in, in his place, and his response was one of, of submissive humility, um, knowing that he could not know everything that there was to know, but he was going to accept it. Uh, realizing that God God knows. My, my issue then with, with this quote uh, is, is in sort of his tricky use of the phrase, people who've had any genuine spiritual mm. experience always know they don't know. And so, self defeating statement, by the way. Yeah, they know they don't know. Well, then he, uh, but Richard Rohr knows that those people had a not yeah. a genuine experience. <laughs> so you're sort of cutting off the branch that you're sitting on. <laughs> and, and he's emphasizing this lack of knowledge, almost as if it's more spiritually mature to realize your lack of knowledge and to sort of bask in your lack of knowledge. This, I think, loses that balance we were, we've been trying well, to aim at. Uh, about knowing th- all that can be known, all that, that God has revealed to us. It's our responsibility, in fact, to know it and to hold it close in our hearts and to live it out in our lives. And so he he's really critiquing, yeah, what you said, lowercase f, fundamentalism, this idea that that uh, everything needs to be known. The puzzle has to be complete. Yeah, We've exactly. have have everything in its place. Um, yeah. But I think he, he crosses the line into into uh, rejecting all that can be that, that can be known. And so actually right before this, he in his quote in the interview, he says, "My scientist friends have come up with things like principles of uncertainty and dark holes. They're willing to live inside imagined hypotheses and theories, but many religious folks insist on answers that are always true. We love closure, resolution, and clarity, while thinking that we are people of, quote, faith. How strange that the very word faith has come to mean its exact opposite. Mm -hmm. So he's Mm -hmm. advocating here for a definition of faith that lacks knowledge, that is Mm -hmm. based on an acceptance of all that is unknown and can't be known, and sort of that leap of faith. That we see in yeah, yeah. R- Bill Maher
1: and others, which is incompatible with Calvinism and r- the Reformed yeah. faith. Well, again, Calvin, it's based on knowledge. What what do we know? That's what we put our faith in. Yeah, faith that's why is we conf- being sure of what we hope. We for.
0: confess the creed because we know <laughs> that and believe that to be true that that Christ was you know born of the Virgin Mary and became incarnate and died and was resurrected and He's coming again and mm-hmm. and those sorts of Real essential truths of the of the faith.
1: Yeah, I I have a struggle with. Uh, often I find folks who really love Richard Rohr or are, um, authors like it. Um, quite a few theologians say the same kind of thing today. Um, often from what are called mainline Protestant denominations, and um, my my struggle uh, my struggle with it has to do with that uh, they often will see the bible as wisdom literature more so than the word of god that it is so take it or leave it not not yeah it's it's not binding on these are anything the bible talks about is (laughs) we're having a struggle with this in our denomination right now with what is the nature of a synodical pronouncement is it advisory, or is it binding? Mm. And we, we are seeing that many people who consider the decisions of our synod to be advisory also take that approach, I think, if we're going to be really honest, to many parts of the Bible itself as well. Mm. And so um, the Bible has laws in it, yeah. in the Old and New Testament. The Bible has doctrines in it, in the Old and New Testament. The Bible is not just wisdom literature mm. to be um, obfuscated and uh, put into just... It's all gray, and um, it, it's, it's having a low view, I would say, of the Word of God, which, which I certainly do believe Richard Rohr probably has a fairly low view of Scripture, mm. Um, yeah. would, would certainly not prescribe to what is called the inerrancy of Scripture, I would guess, by listening to hours of his talks. Yeah. Um, and so, for example, when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, this is the gospel that we want you to hold on to, this is everything, this mm-hmm. is it, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was raised from the dead and appeared to many people. And he goes hmm. on to talk for the whole rest of that chapter about how important the resurrection is the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus, Paul says, that's the doctrine. That's what we're all about. I would say many people who have the wisdom literature approach to the Bible, they don't like texts like that. I even saw at one point where Mm -hmm. Richard Rohr was asked um, about Jesus' proclamation that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no Mm -hmm. one comes to the Father except through him. And he scoffed at that. Bible verse, and laughed that question off. Oh, people always hmm. want to bring that up, was his reaction. And I thought, how sad. Yeah. Um, what, what does it say in Job? Who can question any of God's words? Who can, who can know the mind of the Lord? We, we, we do know his mind through Scripture, and who can question what he has said to us? It hmm. seemed to me that this elevation of mystery is a convenient way at times of questioning god. Yeah. Just like
0: what Adam and Eve do in the garden. It turns into a take it or leave it hermeneutic. You can it's uh take it. That that part I like. Yeah. This part I don't like, so I'll leave that behind and and I can use my own judgment to make the decision I think is is best for me. This is why I love the Heidelberg Catechism, and the first question and answer. Because when we are not our own, it means we cannot interpretively play mm-hmm. games with yeah. this, with the Word of God. We need to listen to it and be faithful to it in all that it calls us to be. And so uh, there was once an article, I think it was by Todd Billings from Western Theological Seminary, about this very point, that the Heidelberg Catechism question and answer one should change very drastically how we interpret Scripture, hmm, and I, cool. I've always loved that—that that God is Lord, and we need to listen and and realize that Scripture is absolutely binding on us. Um, were, were you going to go and say something else? Yeah. Well, um, no, that's a great that's a great
1: way of sort of getting us towards winding down. Um, one of my favorite Christmas songs is called "O Mysterium." which is the translation would be, Oh, Great Mystery. And um, one of the things that we often talk about around Christmas time is the mystery of the incarnation. And um, I want to read a translation of the great mystery of of that event um, from this song, which was written, um, I think, over a thousand years ago. It's, Oh, great mystery and wonderful sacrament that animals should see the newborn Lord lying in a manger. Hmm. Um, and so when you have a, a good theology of mystery, you're called into worship. Um, that, again, it says, Blessed is the virgin whose womb was chosen to bear the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And so the reason I like that song is it just dwells on this amazing mystery. Now... Um, it does so by looking at a doctrine, <laughs> the huh. incarnation, and how mysterious it is that yeah. God himself was, was, took on human flesh. And so it's not nebulous, inaccessible mystery, oh, great mystery, that God is just love and we don't know exactly how that looks. No, it's, oh, great mystery, that God did this. Yeah,
0: the mystery is that God revealed
1: himself. Right, yeah, and so it's that wonderful combination um, in something like the incarnation, um, also something like the ascension, or what is happening in communion, or at baptism, Hmm. or even the mystery of regeneration that is based on faith, yes, and an experience of the presence of God, and all kinds of things that we can know and see, but also remains fairly mysterious in exactly how that works. Like what Jesus says in John 3, you, yeah. you won't know when it's coming, and um, you don't know exactly where it's going, mm-hmm. but you can have an experience of it, just like with the wind.
0: Yeah, so, so the job of every Christian, then, maybe to wrap it up, yep. is to, to know what can be known, and to know it well, and to indwell the Scriptures, to, to have them saturate your thinking so that you can be informed with what God teaches us, with what He commands us, and with what he has done for us in Christ. But we should also realize our creaturely state, that we are not to rise above and beyond what we have been created to be, uh, because we can't. To do so is to overstep our bounds, to try to suggest that the gulf between God and man is is something we ourselves can transcend that we can we can cross over we can go to the other side it's if a fool's we fools errand yeah. yeah and so we need to recognize that but also be in awe and be humbled by the fact that god has accommodated himself to us in christ by stepping down into human flesh uh, to be like us even though it's it is the great mystery like the fact that God reveals himself is the good news of the gospel, that we can know him and be known by him. Yeah, amen. And so, uh,
1: yeah, thanks so much for listening, and again, we welcome feedback. We love to hear from those who are listening, and uh, we thank you so much for sticking with us here on the Reform Podmatics <laughs> podcast, and uh, God bless you. Have a great rest of your day.
0: All right, see you guys.